when you said three things I would like to bring to the board, I was just immediately thinking risk, risk and risk. Uh, <laughs> because they, they, they sometimes, I mean, risk for, for boards are should we buy this company or should we buy an even larger company and how much money can we make? And that's good. That's this discussion they should have. But we also need to define uh, risk. What, what's the risk with buying that company or moving in that direction, investing money in that? and welcome to Fishy Business, a series dedicated to exploring the lesser-known side of cybersecurity. I'm Alice. And I'm Brian, and we're colleagues at Mimecast. Every episode will be joined by a special visitor, or visitors in this case, who are definitely not your average guests, to share tales of risk, reward, and ridiculousness. We'll be looking for new ways to think about cybersecurity, to learn how we can all improve in the fight to stay safe. Brian, I am so excited for this episode. Alice, I think you're excited for every episode. Yeah, probably true. But I'm particularly excited for our discussion today because we're speaking to the people at the forefront of keeping their companies safe. I'm really looking forward to this chat too, actually, because when you work in our industry, you always want to hear from CISOs, CTOs, CROs, those kind of people. And I think that's who we're going to hear from today. Absolutely. So today we're finding out everything you've ever wanted to ask your CISO or CIO, but we're maybe too afraid to ask. We're speaking to Magnus Carling, CISO at Swedish shipping company Stenner, and Andrew Pritchett, CIO at Grant Thornton Australia, a leading accounting and consultancy firm, about their roles, their views on cybersecurity, and what keeps them up at night. Great. Let's get stuck in. Welcome both of you and thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. So we always like to start by simplifying things a little. Um, how would you introduce yourself to someone at a dinner party? And let's maybe start with you, Magnus. Sure. So uh, I, I would say, hi, I'm, I'm Magnus. I'm living in a soap opera and a spy novel at the same time. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, Andrew, would you go with something similar or have you got a different approach? No, I think uh, I just uh, look after the IT team and an accounting firm. I think I would tell people, and I'm a dad. So they're the, they're the two things that I sort of, you know, how to explain. Or, you know, we talk about how to explain to a seven-year-old. I help people use computers, I guess. That's amazing. And maybe if we could go into your roles a little bit deeper, Magnus, would you be able to tell us maybe what your role entails if we were to look into a day in the life of a CISO, for example? Sure, sure. Well, so so I'm a CISO and uh, I run the global information security program for our entire group, which is, uh, as, as we're a conglomerate, we have so many different um, companies. So my day is never the same, but it's all, uh, and as I said, I was kidding a bit, but it, it is almost like being in a soap opera sometimes, but dealing with humans um, and at the same time having all these adversaries trying to break in. And I think maybe that's a great place to, I mean, we've spoken about the nice parts of the job, but what are some of the bad parts of the job? And maybe what are some of the big misconceptions about the role? Um, I mean, I've heard some people describe their CISO as the abominable no man, uh, someone who, you know, is always, always the person saying no. I mean, is that a misconception? Um, let, let's maybe start with you, Andrew. Um, I think, I think that isn't a misconception. Um, I think the, the tough bits are actually navigating 
you know, I think building on what Magnus said is about the tech and the foundations and then being in meetings and stuff. I think the other challenge is actually, you know, being strong and being able to say no when you need to say no. And I think that's a real challenge in the modern workplace, especially in a professional services firms that have lots of clients that want to do different things. And, you know, you want to try to please your client, but also you've got an obligation to keep everyone secure and safe. So I think, um, you know, I don't think it's a misconception. I would think that often the size are we seen as a blocker and it's a really hard thing to, to not be. Um, I, I actually don't think of that as a blocker at all. I actually think of it as like a guardian, a protector and an enabler in a lot of sense. But, you know, when you're dealing with someone who's got a big client on the line or, you know, trying to do something else, um, you know, it, it become, oh, hey, let's stop and have a think about how we're going to do this, the architecture or what the approach is or what's out. You know, that's it's a really hard thing to put your hand up and can cause a lot of um, tension, if I'm honest, I think, at times. I don't know, Magnus, I think that's how I feel. Magnus, would you agree with that? I mean, is there not sort of a, a business enablement side to the role, which is almost the flip side? Obviously, there's a degree of, of putting up guardrails and telling people, you know, you can't, you know, you know, so far and no further. But uh, is that's not the only part of the job, is there? There's there's a huge other aspect to it that people don't necessarily see. Sure, there is. Uh, and, and one thing, it, it is true that we... CISOs certainly don't win the popularity contests uh, to any given corporation, right? Because we we are seen sometimes as the department of no, and, and we have to understand that ourselves and develop along that uh, and, and also try to turn that around and rather say how long to yes. What do we need to be able to say yes and being an enabler? And uh, so that, that's one, one of the things I, I think and we, we need to speak business language um, and understand their reality. At the end of the day, we all need to make, earn money. Um, so if we don't do that, it uh, doesn't matter how good security we have. So that's the balance we need to uh, understand. But also, I, I think one other misconception that we have is uh, looking at the a CISO as a techie or an IT guy. I think in, if uh, as an advice to the listeners, I mean, if you can place your CISO outside the IT organization, you get a lot of good um uh, leverage from the CISO being a bit more free, so to speak, to be able to audit freely and uh, put the requirements in the various parts of the businesses. Definitely. And I think we've all seen that security has really over, you know, the last 20, 10 years, for example, has really come to the forefront, you know, always in the media, people who potentially didn't take any interest in security before are now starting to take more interest in security both from a professional and a personal point of view and I know that for example we all have bad days at the office but I can imagine in your roles in particular that bad day can probably be extremely stressful would you be able to share any of those experiences that you've had with our listeners for example and, and maybe what you've learned from those experiences Magnus maybe if we start with you Sure. Um, it, it is difficult to uh, not going into details, but I mean, the worst and most stressful experiences are when you don't know what's going on. I mean, before you, if you have a virus infection, we all get that sooner or later. I mean, before you find patient zero, so to speak, that is a, a stressful situation. And even if before you understand the full scope of an attack, I mean, that's where it's really, really stressful for me as well. 
And the only way you can deal with that is to train and train again and get this to be a natural part of your, your work. You need to be understand that you will wind up in that situation sooner or later. Absolutely. And Andrew, would you share those same thoughts and experiences? Yeah, I think so. I think the unknown is really, really stressful, especially when they've got, you know, now third party, you know, third party um, companies in your system. I think my worst days is when we're actually having a problem. I feel a lot of empathy for the cybersecurity team. I think a lot of the time the managers, um, you know, the CEO, the CIO, we've had a few attacks in Australia more recently and I hear all that everyone's feeling bad for the CEO and they're, they're saying all the right words and, you know, aren't they great? I, I actually think that the people who are actually on the, on the ground doing the work, the techies that are monitoring, that are trying to work out, trying to reverse engineer what's happening, you know, I think they're the guys and girls that have the, have the, have the real pressure. Andrew, is there anything that we can learn from these experiences? Is there any kind of silver lining? Is there something we could take, you know, to, to maybe the board, uh, you know, and say, look, you know, all those things I've been warning you about that you've kind of just been waving away, suddenly it actually came true. Um, is there some kind of value in, in those situations that we can, we can learn from? Yeah, I think, I think there is. And I just want to build what Magnus said before. I think if I understood correctly, it's around the training and the people like, almost your weakest link is the people. Um, and then take into consideration viruses, phishing, that's all our people. So trying to get across the board when we're looking at, you know, looking at things and trying to work out where the, the threats are coming from, they come external for sure, but a lot of them come from internal and from people. If you were able to have, say, three top key items that you would like to discuss with the board, say, today, Maybe, Andrew, if we go to you, what do you think those would be? Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's a really good question. I, I, it's hard to pick three. I think I think there's the areas that we do well in. Actually, it's, I think I'd like to balance it out to make them aware of where we're doing well, but also where the risks are. Um, because I think that sometimes being able to give confidence or give part of the story to give them comfort is really important, but also to make sure um, that you, you're being transparent. And I think that, that that's the, the challenge. So around for me, I, I would love to see cyber at the table bef like, you know, before a merger happens, before anything happens, you know, that they're part of the process as opposed to, okay, we've made this agreement with company X and we're doing, we're doing project Y or, we're doing something like that and, and and that then gets handed over and we go, hang on a sec, how is this going to work? This time frame's not reasonable. Like, what about the support? And that that's when you become the naysayer or the no. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example. We looked at one merger um, and we used BitSite. Magnus, do you know BitSite? Have you seen that? Yep. Yeah. So we did BitSight, which is like a scoring algorithm on cyber for a company. It's just an external score. And we use BitSight to look at the external company score and they had a really, really low score. Um, like, you know, below what you'd expect from a company. Um, and then that was used as a tool for negotiation on price. Um, so they were saying, look, you know, we don't think you're quite where you thought you were at. And so we're not going to pay you know, this much money, we're going to pay this much money. And that was a negotiation tool. So 
if you can get more stories like that, where you're up the front and you can actually provide some insight and some guidance and advice that turns out to be real money, real advantage, um, that's that's really good. So I like to be thinking about, you know, when that proposal goes to the board for them to say, okay, is this company we're merging with, how are they, what's their cyber posture? How do we know this? You know, should we, you know, demand an ethical hack or have we got what's the bid site score or something like that. So I think that having that awareness on projects and that upfront would be really important. And also understanding the cost. Um, you know, we will have a project come through and, you know, I'll just go, look, we need to do a, you know, a, a simple web application that someone will go, we want this web application that's going to house client data. I want to penetrate, I want to penetration test that ourselves. But that that comes at a cost. And I don't want to, I can't really do it ourselves. It needs to be independent so we can have some different perspective and that adds to the project. But, you know, having that as almost like default, okay, what, just having like an allowance for cyber um, on every project would be really smart because, you know, it's definitely stopped a few things. Um, yeah, I think that that coupled with making sure that they, they're just reminded of the good stories, the success around the training, around, you know, all the different things we do um, to give them a broader understanding of how, I think Magda said it, how, complica how, how complicated it is now. It's, it's just ridiculously complicated um, with the hybrid cloud, on-prem people, stakeholders, pressure, and, and, you know, then you get to attackers. I certainly agree with Andrew. And uh, but, but you, when you said three things I would like to bring to the board, I was just immediately thinking risk, risk and risk. Uh, <laughs> because they, they, they sometimes, I mean, risk for, for boards are should we buy this company or should we buy an even larger company and how much money can we make? And that's good. That's this discussion they should have. But we also need to define uh, risk. What, what's the risk with buying that company or moving in that direction, investing money in that? And so, where are we with risk? Uh, and what kind of risk appetite do we have? What kind of risk tolerance do we have? Uh, and then the, the third thing there is um, what's our mitigations and what is the residual risk once we've done our mitigations? So, if we, we can have that kind of discussion with the boards, we get them to. Uh, raise their level of understanding a bit because it's all about risk. Information security and cybersecurity is about risk, understanding where are we going, what's happening next, and how much are we exposed to the new kind of threats. Uh, and we talk threats too little. I mean, that's part of risk management, vulnerabilities, all that. So, uh, and, uh, and this is also a topic we could go on about forever because risk is just as complicated, uh, even though it can seem quite easy to do your risk analysis with um, impact and consequences and you get the risk score. But once you start digging in, into it, it is complicated and you need to be good at actually understanding and evaluating your risks from a high level perspective on the macro level, but also going into details. The devil is in the details for sure when it comes to risk. I, th I think you're 100% right, and I'm, and I'm glad you, you touched on risk a bit there. Um, one of the questions we wanted to ask you, and, and, and there's a saying that there's only two types of people that uh, CISOs are worried about, those inside the company and those outside the company. Um, <laughs> but that's just one aspect of, of risk. Um, what keeps you up at night? What causes stress in your life? And then maybe what strategies do you have for coping with that, with that stress? Because we all know it's, it's well documented that, that your role is a very stressful one. Uh, maybe I'll start with you, Andrew. 
Uh, well, I think the unknown, I think, you know, the, the two things I think is the unknown where we've got it and, you know, the, the fear of having an attacker in doing something without knowing, that's a, that's a real, real stress for me, like having hypervigilance. The other thing that's really important to me, I worry about is keeping my team together. The IP that's needed across the firm, across the business, across the complexity to understand the cyber risk, I think is is underestimated at times. You can just go hire a few more people, but it takes them time to understand everything, like what your systems are. Like half the time they're managing the system instead of managing the security. It's just in my head. They spend a lot. Yeah, so that that side of it, I think, is um the, the main my main fear, losing people unnecessarily for a few dollars or let, burning them out for unnecessarily or then, you know, having someone in there unknown. Um, the two things that really stress me out how i cope with it um i do exercise and i try to make sure i pay my team as much as i possibly can in terms of the budget wise so i hate i try to take the money off the table if possible um because you know the money in australia is going up and up for cyber um skills so i try to make sure that that's recognized and they're not like there's not a big gap because they've been there for a while and i drink beer <laughs> and magnus um is beer part of your coping strategy and, and, and what uh, what keeps you up at night? <laughs> it certainly is. And, and I would just say what Andrew said, but also add, I mean, one of the big things that really keeps me up at night these days is the risk of data exfiltration. It's one of those hard uh, threats uh, or attack vectors, whatever you want to call it, I think is really difficult to uh, protect against, especially in a big conglomerate where you have so many different sources of important information. So uh, data exfiltration, I think we will see more of that uh, in the coming years. Uh, since everyone has become better at fighting off ransomware, uh, they develop, uh, the adversaries get better at what they do uh, and data exfiltration is certainly one of those threats. And uh, I do cope with that in, in various ways. I mean, exercising is absolutely one of the best ways. Get out into nature. Uh, I have two dogs, so I get out whether I like it or not in the middle of the night sometimes. They, they need to come out. So, uh, and I just want, one is quite new now. So it's, um, he's only six months old and uh, he made me go from 10,000 steps a day to 15,000 steps a day. So that's certainly one way of coping with uh, stress. Um, so, and I think one of the misconceptions that people have, and, and possibly you can correct me if you feel that I'm wrong about this, we've recently done a piece of research, we conducted it with a number of CISOs globally, so it's a pretty representative piece of research, research and it showed that phishing and cybersecurity awareness training are still very, very high up on, in terms of, of the cybersecurity concerns for CISOs. Does that ring true for you? I think it's true that it only takes one click from one person to bring down an entire organization. So, um, I mean, phishing and security awareness training are still important and you need to build security layer by layer. So you just don't rely on one, one area. Um, but I mean, the, the bad guys, the really skilled adversaries that we see, they are really, really good at getting in to any uh, extent. I mean, they, they can certainly trick anybody by sending the correct emails. And if that's done right, then they will get in. Uh, 
no matter what. So we need to have our security layered and we need to be able to have good resilience and be able to respond if they get in. I mean, sometimes we need to work or sometimes all the time we need to assume breach um, and do threat hunting rather than just trying to build walls. I think cyber training is still really valid and important. We actually take it really seriously. Um, when I, oh, probably going back about five or six years ago, uh, we, we were having trouble getting people to do their training. Um, a lot of the training was like quite long, quite boring, quite, <laughs> you, know, you know, not that great and not that localised as well. So it was like a lot, you know, and sometimes technically incorrect. Um, so we moved to a, a platform that had shorter, more sharper training and more regular, so my, like micro learning. And even then, even though the training was quite fun and quite entertaining, we actually had people still just not doing it. Um, when I sort of say not doing it, like 40% compliance, it was really hard to get above 40% compliance. And I put forward a, a proposal that if you didn't do your, your cybersecurity compliance training, and we've got other training that doesn't follow this, um, but the cyber training, if you don't complete it within the month that you've got to complete it, you actually have your account locked. Um, so, and you think about a fee earner, our fee earners charge clients, you know, anywhere between $600 and $1,500 an hour, and they're sitting there not being able to log in. <laughs> um, so that, that's, we have 100% compliance now. So it's, it went from like 40% to like 60%. Then over the next few years, it's gone up a couple of percent every month because they know we're serious. And uh, one of our people in our team just lock people out on the end of the month and they have to do the walk of shame to somewhere and get themselves unlocked. From our recent global research, we found that 57% of IT leaders would feel personally responsible in the event of a ransomware attack. And that's down from 71% last year. And I, I just get the feeling that you're also in a really tricky position. You know, I tend to say to my team, look, if you can come and say to me that you've absolutely tried your best even if we didn't get the outcome we wanted, I will still be proud of you for the work that you've put into that. But I feel like there's so much pressure on, on CISOs nowadays to have the answers to everything, to protect us against everything. What are your thoughts on that sentiment about that personal responsibility um, and maybe the, in the significant decrease that we've seen from the previous year? Um, Magnus, maybe if we start with you. Sure. Um, so what well, I, I think it's always a teamwork right and uh, when i was new as a CISO, someone in the management team and one of the companies said well good now we have a CISO. now we won't get attacked right <laughs> and <laughs> that's not going to happen <laughs> so um but, but i mean it is easy to deceive ourselves that uh, we don't have responsibility and that goes for everyone in the company so in our information security policy we clearly write that everyone is responsible for information security and that's the message we need to get out there and i mean for us as a CISO we do have a lot of pressure i mean i, I have a coffee mug on my uh, table saying that uh, it's easy being a CISO except um it's like uh, uh, riding a bike except the bike is on fire you're on fire <laughs> you're in hell and everything's burning right so and that's sometimes the uh, feeling I get when I'm, when I'm working with information security. But um, I, I think it's, we all need to appreciate and understand that this is a teamwork. Everyone is responsible. So, um, um, but, but I also recognize that I've seen this from my discussions with my peers that um, 
they see the same thing. It's everyone is pointing in the direction of the CISO. Uh, and at the same time, they're not throwing money over the CISO. So it's, uh, it's a sometimes a difficult and uh, not very appreciated role. I, I really think it's, I feel that that's actually representative. I think it is getting less because, and I, I think there's been some really bad calls in the Australian market. We've had you know, a few companies have been breached and, you know, one of the first things they've done is like sack the CISO, you know, and there's a couple of the people that I've known that were legit operators. They were really smart, really good operators that have ended up being, you know, pushed aside or, you know, dismissed or, you know, so I think it's a real, it's a real battle. Um, and it's a real battle for like that person to take ownership when, you know, it could be a cultural problem in the firm. You know, I, Magda said budget, budget constraints, um, you know, people, you know, power and governance, like not having the right, um, you know, and then sometimes third party arrangements, like, you know, that there's not even anything that the size I might be aware of, you know, arguably they should be aware of or they shouldn't be aware of, um, but there's stuff, there's so much stuff happening. There's so many moving parts in a, in a large company that it's really quite challenging. So... I hear everything you're saying. Um, what I'm also seeing, though, is the trend, certainly in places like North America, we've seen it in Australia, I think we're starting to see rumblings now in Europe as well, is actually to be, um, to really come down much more heavily on the the business, particularly on the CISO. We saw the recent incident with uh, Uber's former security chief, and I know there's some nuance with that, and I don't really want to get into the specifics of that, but the direction of travel seems to be to kind of blame the CISO. Do you think there's better ways of doing that? Do you think maybe we could take away some of the stick and introduce some carrot, maybe give some tax breaks uh, for, 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 for doing, you know, cyber really well, the same way we do if people invest in R&D. I mean, what, what, what kind of things could or should we be doing? And do you believe that the, the direction everyone's going in now is the right direction where lawmakers tend to be blaming companies and specifically CISOs? For, for me, if I, if I, for me, I think almost, I was helping a, a client, they were hiring a CISO and I was hoping one of, helping one of our clients do the interview questions. So I wrote down the interview questions and the answers I'd expect and the answer, have you had a breach? And like, if the answer is no, I was like, you just ask them to exit the interview. That was the first question. So it's like, almost like you kind of want people with some battle scars because it's a lot of learning and a lot of, you know, so it's, I, I really think the, the trend, you know, is probably really important like for the penalties to try to make people take it seriously and try to elevate it but taking the individual responsibility on the size i think is just so dumb i i totally agree i, I think it's um the problem here is that you really haven't defined the difference between responsibility and accountability and you you need to i mean in, especially in america i guess where you need to have someone that you need to sacrifice because uh so they're they're throwing him or her in front of the bus and that's it and i i think that's a bad way of going at it uh, at the same time i do think that compliance and the regulations and what the laws require from cso's aren't in, in many cases taken seriously. I mean, compliance to me is a good thing. Uh, so when you, we see new regulations like upcoming AI Act, I think it's a good thing. Um, and as a CISO, you should take that seriously and uh, adopt to it and utilize it. But if you ignore it, I, I think 
in that case, I mean, you, you should uh, have your penalties or whatever uh, comes out of it. Um, but, but I think it's also a lot about being honest and transparent and not to hide from things. That's when things go bad. So, and again, outlining responsibilities and accountabilities. I mean, at the end of the day, it's the board that's accountable, right? So they should also go <laughs> down the same drain if that happens. So. Yeah, and I think you've highlighted that these are complex topics. There's a huge amount of nuance. And I think we've managed to dip our toes into several very interesting pools that I'd love to have kind of gone deeper with, uh, with both of you today. But unfortunately, we've kind of run out of time. So um, just thank you so much to both of you for taking the time to speak with us today. Uh, we always like to end our episodes by asking our guests three simple questions. So firstly, looking back over your career, Magnus, maybe if we start with you, what would be the one insight that you'd wish you'd learned sooner or that you could go back and tell your younger self? Well, it would certainly be to relax. Uh, the solution will present itself. It, it can take time, uh, but things have a way of working out by themselves. We sometimes tend to see ourselves and our tasks a bit too seriously. So going back to being calm and relaxed, that's the one uh, advice I would give my younger self. I can definitely relate to that one. I keep trying to remind myself of that as well often. So yeah, I can definitely relate. And Andrew, what about you? Uh, I think it took me a really long time to be able to engage with people. Like it took me a long time. So I think if I could sort of work out, it's still a work in progress, but trying to work out that the more senior you get, the more important the stakeholder relationships are. And you've got to put as much effort into that as everything else or, or more so in some organisations. That's something that I'd probably make sure that, uh, you know, younger self, I'd probably tell them to invest a lot more in Bitcoin and Ethereum um, if I could, but I don't think that was the spirit of the question. And then, Andrew, maybe along those lines or maybe in some other direction, um, what are you reading or listening to at the moment? Are you kind of listening to books on stakeholder management or reading them? Or is there anything else that you'd uh, recommend to our listeners? Yeah, um, there, there's two. There's one I, 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 There's one book that I recently read or Audible was, um, I think it was called The Wolf CIO, which is basically puts, um, it's a Gartner book or someone who used to run Gartner has written it. And it gives like different animal characteristics to leadership roles in IT. Um, I thought that was really good. Like, you know, had it. And then at the end of each chapter, it had to navigate a specific scenario. So they had a CIO or someone talk um, a story about how to navigate a particular challenging situation that they had. Um, for me, though, the other one I read was really good. Was It was called Taming Toxic People. And it was actually, it, it doesn't mean that everyone's toxic. I don't think that's that's not what I took from it. Um, that's, you know, that tells you if you're in a situation where you're going to deal with difficult stakeholders and you can, it gave you some really good um, pragmatic approaches on how to do that. Um, so I think you've seen from what I've read is I'm really trying hard to, to stay human instead of more of the nerd side of things. Um, but yeah, that I found that one was really insightful because you do, you know, in, in this environment, um, you know, it is a little bit combative, unfortunately, because, you know, you've got to say no, you've got to, say, you've got to you know, hold your integrity, you know, that type of thing. And it is really difficult and you can have some really big, powerful personalities you've got to deal with and having some tools and approaches to that um, is, I, I find really important. 
Um, yeah, for, for me personally. That sounds amazing. And you, Magnus, uh, we hear you've actually written a book, a, a novel about AI, I believe. Um, could you tell us a bit about that and maybe something else that you might have been reading? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually written a couple of books, but uh, two books now that's uh, in the same series about uh, the threat of AI. Um, so uh, they're not available in English yet, unfortunately, but they're called uh, Dark Code and Dark Storm. So it's about uh, it's, it's a, a two novels, uh, very exciting techno thrillers. Um, so uh, and and I, I do try to read a lot. Uh, so I um, and a lot of fiction. And currently, I'm reading uh, Hail Mary by Andy Weir, the guy that wrote uh, The Martian. Uh, it's a fantastic book about uh, a guy that winds up far out in space. And same theme as in The Martian, but it's uh, really he's a good uh, physicist. So he knows his science. That's for sure. Sounds great. That's amazing. Well, uh, I have a, a Swedish lady in my team, so she'll we'll have to get her to read it and then she can translate it for us. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. And looking now forward into the future, maybe this time next year, Andrew, what trends do you think CISOs will be aware of or be spotting? Uh, I, I think it's, I think Magnus hit the, on the head around the data exfiltration. I think that's going to be massive. And like that's still in the news everywhere here in Australia because we've had two or three massive breaches in the past, you know, few weeks. Um, but I think from a SISO perspective, I actually expect the boards to probably get a lot more stressed um, and be put under a lot of more duress. So there's going to be a lot more board reporting. And like, you know, in my area, board reporting is not the most exciting thing. Uh, you know, an IT person wants to do or a CISO wants to do. So that's, you know, just the documentation around that. So I think that how to manage the transition for that as people elevate in terms of maturity. Um, and I also think in a professional services firm um, like I'm in, it's going to be client expectations. I think client expectations are just going to ramp up, ramp up, ramp up. And how to factor that into the pricing and the service delivery model is going to be something that's going to be really stressful i can imagine absolutely and uh, magnus what trends do you think we'll be spotting um certainly more data exfiltration but i also think that next year will be the year where we see even more ai being used and on both the defender and the attackers side i think that the upcoming ai act is coming in the exactly right time um it's i mean for uh, anyone not working with IT or developing AI, they don't see how advanced it has become. And I think that we, I mean, the deep fake examples we've seen were, as an example, President Zelensky giving up, it's, but it's not him giving up, it like, just looks like him. That kind of fraud, uh, on, not on a just on the political uh, arena. I think we will see a lot more of that and more difficult AI attacks being utilized. And I see a lot of vendors are using AI on the defender side as well. So that's next year, we will see a lot more of that, that, that I believe. Absolutely, definitely. I know we uh, also interviewed uh, another guest around data um, and topics like AI. Um, so for our listeners, please feel free to, to tune into that as well, because yeah, it's definitely a, a very large and growing topic. 
Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. We've had a fascinating discussion. It's been really amazing gaining all of your insights. And uh, there was definitely a lot I could empathize and understand um, from the the different scenarios that you walked us through so thank you so much for joining us today and thank you also so much to all of our listeners for joining us on this week's fishy business it's really been a pleasure to have you with us if you have enjoyed our podcast please do leave us a review on spotify itunes or wherever you're hearing this and feel free to follow us on our twitter page at mimecast if you'd like to learn more about what we discussed today until next time <laughs>